New CDC data shows nearly 300 Americans are dying daily from drug overdoses. We look at China's role in getting those drugs into the country. Disney says it doesn't need the Chinese market, and neither does Doctor Strange, too. The company's CEO voices confidence, though Marvel's latest hit isn't expected to release in Asia's biggest film market. A viral video captures a police officer's threat, saying if residents don't follow China's zero COVID-19 policy, the next three generations will be punished. We bring you the response that sends social media into an uproar. And we look at a question from our audience. It involves Tibet, Xinjiang and Inner Mongolia, and why the suppression of China's ethnic minorities actually isn't an ethnic issue. Welcome to China in Focus, I'm Tiffany Meyer. Despite the pandemic, the leading cause of death in the U.S. isn't COVID-19. For Americans ages 18 to 45, it's fentanyl overdoses. Fentanyl is flooding into the U.S. from across the border in record amounts. In 2021, enough fentanyl was seized by Customs and Border Protection to kill every American nearly seven times over. Drug overdose deaths topped 100,000 last year for the first time. NTD's Don Ma has more. U.S. CDC data released Wednesday shows hundreds of Americans are dying every day from fentanyl overdoses. It only takes two milligrams of fentanyl to kill. One kilogram of fentanyl can kill 500,000 people. Derek Maltz is a former agent in charge of the Drug Enforcement Administration's Special Operations Division. He warns, don't buy pills or drugs that are not prescribed by a doctor. Because often, fentanyl, due to its extreme potency, is added to other drugs or pills and makes them cheaper and more powerful. They may contain deadly levels of fentanyl and you wouldn't even be able to see it, taste it or smell it. Maltz recounts a story of how a young girl died from a fentanyl overdose after buying a fake pill on social media. Two years ago, three days before Christmas, a beautiful young girl, Alex Capilouto, who lived in California, came home from spring break on from Arizona State University, and she ordered one fake pill. I think it was a Percocet. She thought she was getting Percocet because she had some anxiety, maybe a little depression, and the drug dealer delivered it right to the house. She took one pill or half a pill, and her parents found it dead in the morning. This is happening all over the country. DEA Chief Ann Milgram told CBS that for teens now, getting a fake pill is as easy as getting Uber Eats because there's just so much illicit fentanyl in the country. The real issue is the Mexican cartels flooding the streets. It's like a tsunami of fentanyl in our streets in America, and that's why we're seeing so many deaths. But where are Mexican cartels getting the drug? China is sending precursor chemicals, which are key ingredients to make fentanyl, to Mexican labs. And these labs produce the fentanyl, then the cartels move the drug across the U.S. border. You know, we have a wide open border. Look at the numbers of apprehensions we have on the border, 221,000 last month. Now, you got to remember, the cartels control everything on the border. So as Border Patrol is doing migrant processing and babysitting, the cartels are sending in their drugs and their people right over the border and they're not being apprehended. DEA Chief Milgram says that Chinese chemical companies are the largest producers of precursor chemicals used to produce fentanyl. 
And Maltz says that China is using the drug to destabilize America. Based on my analysis, is that the Chinese Communist Party have their unrestricted warfare against their adversaries. And this is just another tool in their toolbox. They're destabilizing our country, they're killing our future generation by using the Mexican cartels as a proxy to deliver this poisonous chemical substance all over America. Don Ma, NTD News. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is no longer expected to screen in China. But even without a release in the country, Disney CEO says the company is pretty confident even without China. Let's zoom in on what's happening. Doctor Strange 2 is the latest Marvel film banned from a release in China. Behind the cancellation, Disney CEO Bob Chapek stated the reason is very fluid and very complicated, both from a business standpoint and from a political standpoint. Home to the biggest fan base in Asia, China is considered a major market for films. But even though Disney might lose a significant source of revenue, the company seems unfazed and unlikely to make any changes to the Multiverse of Madness film to appease China. During the company's quarter two earnings conference call on Wednesday, Chapek responded to the apparent censorship. He revealed Disney is pretty confident that even without China, it doesn't really preclude our success given the relatively lower take rate that we get on the box office in China than we do across the rest of the world. Since its release on May 6th, Doctor Strange 2 has grossed around $507 million at the worldwide box office, even without a Chinese release. As for why Chinese theaters aren't playing the film, in both the trailer and a major scene of the film, a newsstand belonging to the Epoch Times newspaper is visible. The media company is known for its uncensored coverage of China. Beijing hasn't given a reason for canceling the film, but isn't expected to approve the submission. It is not the first time Marvel has been iced out of China. Since Spider-Man Far From Home came out in 2019, Marvel has faced difficulty getting movies approved there due to China's authoritarian censorship and strict demands over what is and what isn't allowed to appear on screen. Streets in China's capital were quiet on Friday. Authorities had urged Beijing residents to work from home in an effort to stop the spread of COVID-19. City officials confirmed Thursday that Beijing had no plans to adopt sweeping Shanghai-style lockdown measures. They discouraged panic buying and again called on locals to stay home. But that reassurance may not have been enough. Many still appear fearful that Beijing will follow Shanghai's lead and are stocking up on food and essentials. Tensions seem to ease Friday after people cleared out stores' shelves and resupplied the day before. I did stock up on food a while ago, but I didn't yesterday. I think in Beijing there is no need to worry too much. It's a first-tier city. There shouldn't be a shortage of supplies. Despite dismissing the potential for a lockdown, Beijing authorities had already banned dine-in restaurant service, closed some public venues, suspended sections of public transportation, and imposed limited lockdowns on some residential buildings. Under this health code system, the color code on each user's app determines if that person is allowed to enter certain facilities or use public transportation. But the system has proven disastrous for those who do not own smartphones. Many of them are seniors. 
I'm from Anhui province. I've waited here at the Wuxi train station for three days. I've bought train tickets three times and returned them three times. For each return, I was charged 20% of the ticket price. I have a non-smartphone, so can't scan a health code. I did the COVID-19 test already and still can't go home. I beg the authorities, please help me go home. I'm 70 years old. The man showed his negative COVID-19 test results and some other codes needed for his trip. But he still wasn't allowed on board because he couldn't scan them without a smart device. The person who shot this clip spoke to him. Do you want to go back home? Yes, I do. The problem isn't an isolated case. At least one other traveler faced a similar situation in Shanghai. Another clip reveals other impacts of the virus restrictions. A man in white protective gear was seen sobbing in an empty street over sad news from home hundreds of miles away. His mother died, but because of the lockdown in Shanghai, he couldn't go home to say goodbye. A video on Chinese social media platform Weibo went viral late Wednesday. It showcases China's extreme measures for countering COVID-19. In the clip, we see what appears to be police officers forcing a couple to relocate to a quarantine facility. The officers threatened the couple, saying if they didn't comply, they would be punished for the next three generations. In response, the young man calmly says, we are the last generation, thank you. His reply sparked speculation among many Chinese internet users. What did he mean by last generation? Some suggest that the couple might decide not to have children, while others wonder if they will go abroad. One comment brought up the question of whether the Chinese Communist Party will still exist in three generations' time. The post has since been deleted. But judging by the police officer's accent, the incident seems to have taken place in Shanghai. Videos posted online that show people in Shanghai and other areas arguing with police have largely disappeared from Chinese social media, believed to have been deleted by censors. Earlier this week, Chinese authorities doubled down on pandemic restrictions in Shanghai after a brief easing of the rules. The move frustrated residents who were hoping the over-a-month-long lockdown was finally easing. That's after complaints of food shortages and quarantines where some people were forced to surrender their house keys. The World Health Organization's director general said that he doesn't consider China's zero-COVID-19 strategy sustainable. That's considering the behavior of the virus now and what they anticipate in the future. Next, we'd like to take a moment to answer a question from our audience. They asked for a closer look at the suppression of ethnic groups in China, including Tibetans, Uyghurs and Mongolians. Since the Chinese Communist Party took power in 1949, it began to suppress all Chinese people, including members of ethnic groups. In China, the Han ethnic group makes up 94% of China's population. The rest of the country's more than 50 ethnic groups make up the other 
In the 1950s, 60s and 70s, the Chinese Communist Party launched a series of political movements. According to research, 80 million people died during those campaigns. Many were executed or died because of the Great Famine in 1959 to 1961. That 80 million death toll is higher than both world wars combined. Han Chinese made up most of the toll, but ethnic groups are said to have suffered more as they launched even stronger protests. According to official figures, in some areas of Tibet in the 60s, the ratio of young and middle-aged men to women dropped to 1 to 7, or even lower in some cases. That was the result of mass arrests and killings driven by the regime. At the same time, the CCP pushed a relocation campaign, moving Han Chinese to areas largely home to other ethnic groups, turning them into minorities in their own regions. The regime also restricted them from using their native languages and practicing their religious beliefs. This aimed to eliminate their cultural identity and has continued until today. Han Chinese suffered similar problems too. Ancient Chinese Han culture is deeply rooted in Buddhism, Taoism, and Confucianism. It's based on universal values such as compassion, righteousness, wisdom, and faith. But the CCP has replaced these with communist culture, steeped in lies, cover-ups, and violence. Communism is also inherently atheist and directs people to worship communist leaders instead. In this sense, the conflict can't be viewed as conflict between the Han Chinese and other ethnic minorities, but as one between the communist regime and all Chinese people, regardless of their ethnic roots. Meanwhile, the CCP has been using Han Chinese to achieve its goals by suppressing other ethnic groups. Coming up, is China harvesting organs from prisoners of conscience? A U.S. congressional hearing shed light on some of the mounting evidence, plus an account from a Chinese surgeon who said he took part in it. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Killing people for their organs. It may sound hard to believe, but experts and lawmakers are pointing to mounting evidence that the Chinese Communist Party is indeed committing a crime against humanity. But why isn't this more widely known? We bring you more from a congressional hearing on Thursday. My scalp find its way cutting his skin. Blood can be seen it implies that his heart was still pumping blood and his body was struggling. He was alive. That's Chinese surgeon Enver Toti recalling to lawmakers his former role in China's lucrative practice of harvesting organs from prisoners of conscience. Thus, we see religious dissidents targeted for harvesting. First and foremost, the Falun Gong. A House panel on Thursday examined evidence pointing to a large-scale state-sanctioned practice of forced organ harvesting in China. Matthew Robertson, who co-authored a recent research report, said his team analyzed hundreds of Chinese medical papers and found 71 cases in which organs were removed from living donors. The papers appear to show that the donors, who were prisoners, were alive at the time of the surgery and were killed by the transplant surgeons in the process of heart extraction. And the unusually short waiting time for organ transplants in China points to the same conclusion. 
waiting times were advertised in weeks and days, suggesting that a pool of blood type donors was available for execution and organ harvesting on demand. Beijing claimed that their organs come from voluntary donors. But a London-based People's Tribunal in 2019 concluded that China continues to forcibly harvest organs on a large scale, with Falun Gong practitioners being the main target. And we tested both the factual evidence and then the legal factual conclusions on the strictest basis, proof beyond reasonable doubt. However... This terrible, terrible abuse. Why, why, the, why the silence? A former assistant secretary of state said Beijing is using its economic influence to force many to stay silent, even within the U.S. government. But our intelligence community needs to be all over this, and they're not. And uh, it's just, uh, it's politically incorrect to raise these questions. There's way too much money involved. Meanwhile, lawmakers are pushing to pass bipartisan legislation to stop forced organ harvesting in China. And much more needs to be done, and the fight must go on. The bill would sanction those taking part in organ harvesting and require the Department of State to report on those practices. On Capitol Hill, a lawmaker and a defense chief got into a heated discussion. That's whether China will use the Ukraine war as a chance to invade Taiwan should the U.S. get involved. Here's more. America's spy chief points to the most pressing threats to U.S. national security. The assessment starts with threats from key state actors, beginning with the People's Republic of China, which remains an unparalleled priority for the intelligence community. The PRC is China's official name, the People's Republic of China. Haynes says one key focus of the intelligence community is Beijing's next move on Taiwan. Beijing is prepared to use military force if it decides this is necessary. In the meantime, the PRC is also engaged in the largest ever nuclear force expansion and arsenal diversification in its history, is working to match or exceed U.S. capabilities in space, and presents the broadest, most active and persistent cyber espionage threat to U.S. government and private sector networks. Beijing has been stealing American technology through cyber attacks for over a decade. The cost to the U.S. is huge, between $200 billion to $600 billion every year. Victims include American companies and government agencies. Prominent examples include Google, Adobe, Equifax, and the U.S. Commerce Department. The decade-long cyber attack has been backed by China's military. And as for Beijing's military strength, here's the head of the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency's take. I think, I think China is a formidable adversary. There's also been heated discussion about when will Beijing invade Taiwan. Some high-level U.S. military officers put the timeline at six years. But Senator Josh Hawley has a pressing concern. So do you worry that, that Beijing might see an opportunity to invade Taiwan in the very near future should the United States get drawn into an actual conflict, a kinetic conflict with Russia? I, I think that's... Uh a remote possibility, but I, I don't Which part's remote? The, 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 the part that, that China would see that as a window to open to take advantage of that uh, based on the fact that they, they probably aren't ready to do that right now. Hmm. So you don't think they have the capacity right now to invade Taiwan? I didn't, I didn't say that. I, I think, well, I'm trying to drill down on what you yeah, mean when yeah, you say I that think, they wouldn't do it. I think they, they probably have... Actually, actually, can we can we take this into a, into a closed session? Sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Director Barrier adds he thinks Taiwan is learning interesting lessons from the Ukraine conflict. Like how important leadership is, how important small unit tactics are. He says Taiwan has a largely conscript force. I don't believe it is where it should be. Barrier says the U.S. should engage with Taiwan's military to help them learn where they should be focusing their funds, both in defense and training. 
after seven weeks under full lockdown. Shanghai reopened its first bank on Thursday. A local media showed bank clerks in protective suits unpacking large bags of cash. That's as a long line formed outside the building. In order to enter the bank, customers first had to register their visit, present their health code, part of China's contract tracing system, and show a negative COVID-19 test result. Temperature checks were also required. The bank said it would operate at limited capacity, serving no more than 15 people at a time. Shanghai authorities say the city will attempt to reopen within days as the local outbreak subsides. Outside the bank's reopening, life in the city of 26 million has remained largely the same over the past weeks. Authorities combed the city on Thursday, looking for the last of the area's infected patients. Residents were seen standing in line to get tested. Streets remain empty. And in many parts of Shanghai, residents are only allowed to go out for virus testing. The Chinese Communist Party's zero COVID-19 policy has caused increasing economic losses, including in the global financial hub. President Biden is hosting leaders from Southeast Asia today in Washington, D.C. The administration promised to spend millions on efforts aimed at countering China's influence in the region. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. President Biden's meeting with leaders of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN, Friday for talks at the State Department. Biden welcomed the leaders Thursday with a dinner at the White House to kick off the two-day summit. It's the first time the group's ever met in Washington, D.C. The White House said the U.S. is investing more than $150 million for new projects in Southeast Asia to boost the region's energy, maritime and public health infrastructure. The U.S. is also launching a leadership development program called the U.S. ASEAN Institute for Rising Leaders. Through private funding, the program will sponsor up to 30 public service professionals from ASEAN countries each year. A number of Biden officials also met with ASEAN leaders Thursday. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo says another focus is improving supply chain resilience. We are looking to work with you and your companies uh, to build a resilient, greater resilience and security in our supply chains. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin welcomed his Thai counterpart to the Pentagon. He said Thailand is the United States' oldest friend and ally in the Indo-Pacific. For decades, our alliance has bolstered security in this critical region. So I'm delighted to announce today that I'll be making my first visit to Thailand as Secretary of Defense next month. Secretary of State Antony Blinken welcomed Thailand's Deputy Prime Minister, who's also Thailand's top diplomat. A very strong shared uh, agenda uh, for um, a stable, peaceful uh, Indo-Pacific that we'll be working on. The Biden administration hopes the summit shows that Washington remains focused on the Indo-Pacific and the long-term challenge of China, which the U.S. views as its main competitor. In November alone, China pledged $1.5 billion to help ASEAN countries. The special summit in Washington comes before Biden's trip next week to South Korea and Japan. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. To end today's episode, North Korea has reported its first COVID-19 death cases since the pandemic swept the globe two years ago. The country's state-run news carried the news on Friday, also reporting that hundreds of thousands of people have shown fever symptoms. 
Among them, six have died, with one of those cases confirmed to have contracted the Omicron variant of the virus. It's an unprecedented admission of what KCNA called an explosive outbreak and offers hints of the potentially dire scale of the country's first confirmed outbreak. The isolated country has said the outbreak began in the capital of Pyongyang in April, but has given out few details. Experts said that given North Korea's limited testing capabilities, the numbers released so far probably represent a small fraction of the infections, which could lead to thousands of deaths in one of the only two countries in the world without a COVID-19 vaccination campaign. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. Every once in a while, something comes along so masterful, it leaves you in awe. So inspiring, it changes your life. So beautiful, you wish it would never end. When that happens, it's something not to be missed. Shen Yun, an all-new production every year. performance was enchanting. I feel better about the world. I feel uplifted. It touches you. It really does. The expertise of the dancers was really, really strong. To know that it was live music was really fantastic. We didn't want to miss this. Make sure you see it. Have to come. Life-changing.